For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, Season 7, Episode 26, Q&A at UVU number 2. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. And I have three microphones. Yes, you do. <laughs> Hey, let's get our first question. No, just, just, just talk just into it. Start, go. Okay, um, my question's for Brandon. Um, I just uh, recently finished reading the Mistborn trilogy. I haven't read the fourth one yet. Anyway, something I noticed about them is that the first Mistborn book uh, was about rebelling against establishment, whereas the second and third were about protecting establishment. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's an, um, a, a question I actually... Um, as these go, and maybe this will be interesting to writers, I, in concept, designed the second book first um, for the trilogy because it's always harder to build something up than to destroy something. Um, and when I was designing the, um, the series, I realized I didn't want to tell the first book was right. That was a good place to go. It was a good, single-volume, compelling story. Um, and yet, I always like to do reversals when I can, and this one is a reversal of myself. I intentionally did that, where I said, okay, book one is about undermining the establishment, but that's actually kind of easy. It's easy to be the rebel, you know, um, who destroys something. Building something up and actually maintaining it and sticking to ideals is far harder, and I, I designed the series that way intentionally. One other thing, uh, I, also noticed, I also noticed in the first book that Kelsier shrugs a lot. Like yeah, <laughs> you know, um, and this is this is something that people will notice um, for writers. If you as writers, you will all start to have tells, tells about your writing. It's um, it's natural. Um, you will start to use certain words, um, and you'll fall into using them more and more commonly, and it'll actually shift through your writing career. Um, and it is good to be aware of these. Do you guys have you guys noticed tells of your own? Yeah, I particularly found one when I uh, started having to replace words in Glamour and Glass when I was looking for period words. I had people blinking, mm. just like, uh, apparently they all had stuff in their eyes. Right. <laughs> I used that one a little bit too much myself. Yeah. Yeah, mine, mine was nodding, mm -hmm. and I had a, a copy editor finally say, listen, Dan, your people nod so much, I think that they have tardive dyskinesia. <laughs> so in Hollow City, which comes out in July, I gave a character tardive dyskinesia. <laughs> 
You know, um, here's, here's a quick gimmick for you guys that I've started using. Um, is you keep a list of these, and I always lose my list, so don't do that. But you keep a list of your tells, and then you can actually do um, set up a thing in Microsoft Word where you just actually search for and highlight those words. And then when you're doing your revision, you just do it during one of your revision drives you're reading through, you can see how often you use these certain words. Highlight each of them in a different color, and if you look at a page and there's four of them, you're like, okay, I need to cut those. Um, and you can kind of ration yourself on certain of your tells. How do you know when to stop or expand any chapter, like the subject? Ooh, uh, good question. And we all back okay. away from it. No, okay. <laughs> um, when I, when I uh, started writing the, the serial killer books, um, is when I first started writing full time, I, it was because I was unemployed, it's not because I was able to quit, it's because I got fired. But um, I, I was, you know, I worked for eight hours a day, and I would get up every morning and say, okay, here's what I'm going to write today. And then I would write it, and that would be my chapter. And what you, you can go back through Serial Killer and look at this. All the chapters are exactly the same length, because that's how much I could write in eight hours. <laughs> and it ended up being very stilted and awkward, because I was writing to a time frame rather than to what the story required. What I've done since then is given myself scenes, and so I will write a scene and then it will be done, and I'm making those the chapters um, in, for the most part. I'll combine some occasionally if they're very short and ridiculous. But just going for a scene, then the chapters are all different sizes. That doesn't directly answer your question, but it answers half of it. Um, I have a variety of different types of scenes that I use, and I don't think in chapters. I think in scenes. Um, and that's a better way to approach it. Some people make each scene a chapter. Sometimes you'll um, have chapters that are two or three scenes. Um, but it's kind of what Mary said during our last Q&A, the beginning, middle, and end. And I actually really more think about this than the paragraphs, is having a beginning and middle and end for a scene. Um, that doesn't mean each scene should follow the same archetype. Sometimes your beginning, middle, and end is you want to cut at the really dramatic moment, and that's your end. It's the hook um, scene. Sometimes your scene is actually, we introduce a conflict early in the scene, we struggle with it, we deal with it, something goes wrong, we eventually figure out that little conflict, that conversation between people, you work it out, and then you exit the scene. Or, sometimes it is, you begin, you struggle with this, and you don't solve it, and you exit the scene more frustrated than when you began. Um, and those are each scene dynamics, and you kind of start to learn these different types of scenes, and, and what, where they go. Yeah, what, what we're really talking about here is pacing, because when you when you end a scene when they have resolved everything, that is a moment when you are giving your reader a rest. And what you're looking at for when you need to uh, like break in the middle of a scene so that, that tension is still there, is when you want the reader to keep going. But there are times when you need to give the reader a rest, and that pacing that you're looking at has more to do with the reader experience than the experience of the characters. I'm a fan of a scene sequel format in which a scene uh, using that terminology, a scene is where you know something happens. It's you know it's very active, and then you know characters are doing things. And the sequel is where people are uh, you know reacting to what has happened. You know, talking about it. Uh, you know, preparing for the next scene. And if you just do scene sequel, scene sequel, scene sequel throughout the book, it becomes very very stilted. But if you recognize that some chapters are for talking about what happened and what we're going to do next, and other chapters are for blowing crap up. Um, it's, you sort of naturally fall into a pacing that is about you know, chapter length because you as a writer are, I think, you know, going to be able to naturally arrive at, oh, it's, it's done, it's time for them to talk about it. Okay. 
Um, I was just wondering how you make your prose more transparent uh, and still have them convey everything you want to say without using very many words. I drop it into a different layer in Photoshop and notch it back to about 50%. <laughs> okay, next question. <laughs> um, for me, it, it all comes down to the character. If I am confident that everything being said, even by the narrator, if it's third person, is coming through the lens of that character and is the kind of words that character would say and the kind of thoughts that character would think, then I know it's going to sound right. If it sounds like somebody else, then it's going to get in the way of the story. Okay. I think that was a very good response. That's a better oh, response. I have well, no idea what the much. question even meant. So. <laughs> Let's do, um, let's do our book of the week. Hey, writers. Are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, I've got a book of the week. All right. Okay, it is my book, Partials, which is actually, by the time this airs, it will have been out for a while, but we haven't yet done it as a book of the week. It is uh, my new series. It's science fiction post-apocalypse, uh, 11 years after the world ends in a horrible plague, and these uh, genetically engineered artificial people have kind of destroyed humanity, and uh, this girl um, named Kira tries to help rebuild civilization. So, partials. How, are, how can they get a copy of that? Head on out to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse, and you can kick off a 14-day free trial membership, download a copy of Partials uh, by, I was going to say, by John Cleaver. That's your Twitter <laughs> handle. <laughs> John Cleaver should write a book, though, huh? He should. He totally should. Uh, by Dan Wells, who's the narrator? Then I don't know yet. Oh. I will by then, but I don't Doesn't know now. Yeah, I don't know plays first. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do our next question. No, who's on first? You're right. I don't know is on third. Yes. yes. Okay, so while editing, I cut three characters in 30,000 words. I'd like to know how you guys decide who and what to cut. 
Congratulations. Yes. Well done. Give it up. Yeah. Give it up. If I realize that I have two characters that are serving exactly the same function in a book, um, then I try to roll them into one character. I had to do that, actually, in partials. It yeah. was very sad because I yeah. had two characters I loved, and I killed one of them and gave the other one the first one's name because it was better. <laughs> I usually um, depend on my alpha and beta readers to tell me where characters need to be cut um, because usually I'm not that great at it. Um, that's, not, that's not necessarily true. I'm good at cutting, figuring it out first quarter if a character's going wrong and cutting them out. Um, but by the time the book is done, I'm going to need reader response to kind of fish mm -hmm. for how people are feeling about certain characters and certain characters are weak to them and things like that. And that's what I'll use as my guide for whether I should cut them out. Howard, you can't do it. Luxury. <laughs> <laughs> we already That's when I know when I discover that I need to cut a character out of the story. Um, there is a death. Scissors. There is a rather immediate death. <laughs> All right. Next question. I was going to say scissors and whiteout, but. <laughs> writing, I keep having like all these ideas that come so that it's getting to the point where I'm trying to cram too many in. How do you cut yourself off from getting ideas for a story? Okay, mm. uh. what, what, this is what I do. Uh, because as a writer, you're always coming up with ideas. There's always more than you can use. So I keep either a notebook, I used to have a notebook, now I have a word file that is my idea drawer. And every time I think of something new and awesome, I'll write it down there and then even if I know I'll never actually go back to it, I tell myself that I can, and then I don't feel obligated to use it in this book right now. Yeah, I think this is why so many of the, uh, the great American novelists were actually alcoholics. <laughs> no, you just kill some brain cells. Sorry, I just need to... But that, that sense of, ooh, I could do this, and ooh, I could do this, when it's happening to me in a short story, that's usually a signal to me that I may be looking at a novel. Um, but in short stories, I'm like, nope, I can have one or two. <laughs> I write 400,000 word books. I just put it all in. <laughs> <laughs> so you can just Sanderson your way out there to the end. <laughs> um, a, a more, um, a more <laughs> useful answer, perhaps, is um, it's actually good you're having this problem because I've noticed that uh, with new writers, they tend to err on not having enough ideas. But there are some who just have too many. Um, the kind of kitchen sink writers, and in that case, most of the time I've noticed with new writers, it's because they haven't really decided what their story should be yet. And if they decide what their story should be and focus it in, um, you may need to focus on a, a couple fewer characters, decide what's really important to those characters, decide what your solid core plot is, and then add a few other things in, but save the rest um, for another story. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind, if you're, this, this often happens with discovery writers. You're discovery writing your way through the story, and you found something that's cooler than what you started with. On your editorial pass, you may end up pruning the early ideas and keeping the later ones, because the later ones, especially when you're writing endings, you know, the, mm. the last idea you had for an ending is probably better than the first one you had. So. All right, next question. My husband and I are collaborating, and the form we collaborate in usually means that he writes a plot, he writes some of the story, I come in on a revision run and fix what he's written and then add in the parts that I'm expected to add in. Um, what I struggle with is how to make my revisions or my additions in his voice. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
And I, so I hesitate sometimes in changing what he has, even if I don't agree with it, because I'm worried that, you know, I'm, I'm messing with it. The, the dirty secret is that most of the time, you can tell, but readers can't. My brother can tell, okay, but he knows. He, but yeah, up. he knows. Um, one thing that I do, uh, and, and Dan actually taught me this trick. Um, awesome. <laughs> He's now completely baffled about what it might be. It involves a bandsaw. <laughs> Is that, that I, I now, uh, I read through what I had previously written uh, before I start writing. Oh, yeah. Um, because that reminds me of what voice is. One thing that you could try doing would be not just to reread, but to actually re-key what he has written. Because yeah, I do read it out loud. I do read it out loud, which does help. Yeah, but re-keying and, and reading it out loud um, kind of does a little bit of brain mapping, which is helpful. The other us. thing that you can do, the other of Mary's tricks that you could use is to build a dictionary, the Kevin Evans Dictionary uh, of yeah, Words, totally and, work. uh, and do you know, search and replace. Of course, all of your words are going to end up being you know, steam or coal or rivet. <laughs> <laughs> Um, for those that don't benefit, um, the Evans are luminaries of fandom, and, um, and uh, we've known them for many years, and so um, it, it's nice of you to ask the question. I had to work, okay? It's yeah. now, now, one way around that problem, if you want to avoid it completely, this might not work for, for your particular collaboration. Um, Larry Correa wrote a collaboration called Dead Six with his friend Mike Kapari, and the way they did it was there were two point of view characters, they each wrote one of them and alternated chapters. Mm. You know, so they I, never had the voice problem. I would, I would actually just say, change it however you want, change it for the best that you can, and then give it back to him, and let him do a pass to change anything that doesn't feel like his own voice. That's what I would do. Yeah. And not, not make it on your yeah. burden, not make it a burden on you, I mean you're collaborating. So you should do, you know, change it how you feel it needs to be changed, and then, you know, if, if, the, if his voice is what you want the book to have, let him change it back. All right, we're going to have only time, I think, for this last question. Okay. What, what's the best way to, um, to tackle a long backstory? Like something that needs to be in there, but it takes a long time to get to it, to get to the point of the backstory. How do you get through that? I generally go for a giant prologue. That <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know what? I'm, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of prologues. I'm I think totally a kidding. flashback scene while the character is looking in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! No wait. If you can do the flashback in the prologue, yes. That. No, 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 wow. no, no, Just put the appendix first and make it a big, you know, yes. history textbook. There you go. Oh, Ooh, and a okay. glossary of characters. Sorry. In, in all seriousness, <laughs> um, as much as people make fun of flashbacks, I've been reading through the Game of Thrones series, and he uses flashbacks like a yeah. madman. They are all over the place, and he's one of the most respected writers in fantasy. Yeah. So if you do them well, you can totally do a flashback. Um, I would say that in most cases, you may not need as much as you think you need. Um, there's, a, there's a form of art out there where people take a black piece of paper and they cut it to a shape. It's and called, then they, oh, there it is. It's called them. a silhouette. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> or in England, called a shade, as in shades of milk and honey. Mm -hmm. As I plug my own book. Continue with your actual point. <laughs> um, I had a, a, a street guy do this in Paris once um, for me. And he, he said, hey, you. And, and he held it up, and it was me. It was completely me, and it was only one inch by one inch, maybe one and a half inch by one, one and a half inch, and it was awesome. Um, imagine your backstory like that. Um, hinting at the backstory, and without going into the details, is usually going to be enough. Put in 
enough that it that it's that if the reader can feel that the characters are passionate about this and it is informed and involved who they are, but don't worry about giving us every little detail of it. Yeah, let me let me give you an example. Who here knows who the king was before the prince regent became the king? One person. I'll give you a hint. The the prince regent when he became king was King George the Fourth. So before him was King George III. Anyway, my point being, I'm writing these historical th things. I don't have to tell anyone any of this. I don't have to, even though, you know, it's not like I can rely on people to know history. You just drop the things that are actually plot related. And in my novel, it does not matter who was the king prior to this. Yeah, if it's, and if it's really important to the character, you put it in, but yeah. cut a lot of the other stuff. I, I think that the character's voice, you know, when you're in that character's point of view, uh, let that backstory flow through you and color every reaction that the character has to yeah. the world around them. And then for us, the reader, this will be an adventure of discovery as we get to know this person through their eyes instead of reading their, you know, their CV, uh, you know, on their Facebook page. Yeah. Do you know what your mother had for breakfast before she went to the hospital to have you? Oh wow, one person actually nodded. That is freaky. <laughs> but but I mean that is that's backstory and, and it's about that important. Okay, um, I think it's uh, it's time to be done here. Does anyone have a writing prompt that they're eager to say, or shall I like force Earl, our cameraman, to do it? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. We have the, uh, Earl K. Hill, who is my former roommate and good friend, is filming us. And Earl, do you have any writing prompts that you could force people to do? You'll have to go to the mic. Yeah, go, go up to the mic. Sorry, we're going to ask you to step away from your camera and up here to <laughs> me and my three microphones. <laughs> He's going to throw things at me later. <laughs> and turn around to face the camera. This is for posterity. <laughs> It's very self-facing, but I know he's um, got a lot of writing ideas. He's um, he's a screenwriter as well. So, all right, that's um, that is your writing prompt. You guys are out of excuses. Thanks for listening. Go write. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants—they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.